Hi, I'm Ashley Alsadi, and welcome to the Cold Calling Queen Jester to Royalty Project. Many people feel like a bit of a jester in a court when it comes to selling. They may feel like they have to put on a performance, act like a bit of a fool, and let's face it, not even get a smile crack from their prospects. The great news is though, there are tips and techniques that you can use to win back the crown and convert way more clients. During this podcast, we cover everything to do with selling, everything from making the perfect pitch, overcoming objections, right through to a sales process. And we interview some great salespeople along the way. I hope you enjoy and that this podcast allows you to go from being the jester in the court to true royalty. So a very warm welcome to the Jester to Royalty Project. I am very excited to have a special guest on the show today, and that is David Guest. (laughs) Warm welcome to David. Thank you. Now, David is a renowned business coach. He runs the Outcomes Business Group, but I would love you, David, to introduce yourself, who you are, what you do. Sure. Thanks, yeah. Ashley. Um, <laughs> where do we start? Exactly. Um, known Ashley for quite a few years and uh, been uh, interesting to say the least. Uh, <laughs> we've probably done quite a number. I can't even think how many um, shows together. Crazy. We have done so many business breakfasts together. Yeah. yeah, in the midst of 15, 20, something like that. A so. large number. <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose, who, who, who am I, David Guest, in my company? Um, outcomes, I started in the year 2000. That's yes. nearly 20 years ago. Um, and we've been doing business coaching ever since. We haven't t- sort of diverted. We haven't distracted. We just stay with our focus, which is what we do. The only thing we've really added to that is business education as well. Mm-hmm. So through the workshops that we do, through the training that we do, and uh, just to really give business owners the tools they need to grow. Awesome. Uh, why am I a business coach? Well, it's a good question too. Uh, yes. But I suppose if we go back uh, another, oh geez, another 20 years... <laughs> So roughly when I was about 19 years old, I had a book given to me by my brother for my birthday called Think and Grow Rich. You may have heard of that one. Love it. Um, and I started to realize that when I left school, my education didn't stop, it just started. Mm. And so pretty much from that day onwards, I just kept reading and attending and learning from workshops, seminars and so forth. And I became one of those seminar junkies. Yeah. Like that used to sort of be evangelistic. Oh my God, I just went to this seminar and you should hear what this guy had to say. And Tony Robbins is awesome and all that sort of so thing. So me. <laughs> Luckily, I got over that stage because you don't win friends and influence people when you're like that. You become very annoying. and People just want to throw you off a cliff. Yeah. Um, so I stopped being the evangelist. And uh, I just realized that personal development is exactly that. It's personal. Yeah. Um, so I kept reading the books. I never stopped. And I never stopped going to workshop seminars, but I never shared unsolicited information yes um all that happened is i grew so um i didn't start life as a salesperson i started life as an engineer yes i worked at channel 7 i used to build outside broadcast vehicles um i I moved into sales down the track Mm. i moved into sales because i realized that sales is a necessary skill to be successful love it um it's not even sales it's communicating I think we call it sales, which gives it a negative term. But really, if you look at what good salespeople are, they're just great communicators. Yes. Um, and I learned how to communicate. 
and I spent a lot of time going through things like understanding neuro-linguistic programming. Mm-hmm. This was in two thousand. This was in nineteen ninety-five. Yeah, wow. Um, and I just kept going to any Tony Robbins thing that came out, and I just kept learning and developing my skills. So, my sales skills sort of uh, moved me into sales from being an engineer for ten years, and then I sort of people kept asking me, "So, what's your secret to success in sales?" And I'd say, "Read this book mm. and learn these skills." And they wouldn't listen, and then. <laughs> That's what happens. People don't listen. True. So I got frustrated as a sales manager and a sales trainer, and I thought, bugger it, I'll just go straight into business coaching where I teach people how to run a business. Yep. Excellent. That's great. I love it. And I think, you know, that's part of the reason that I have you on the show, David, is that we always have seemed to have such a synergy Mm. when it comes to selling, you know, and our belief that everyone's a salesperson, but it's about Mm. being a great communicator and, you know, how can we kind of nurture those skills or hone in on those skills to, to make us better business owners through doing so. So, yeah. And look, our topic today is bringing sexy back to sales and business numbers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the topic. I know. David said, well, it's very quirky, but it's kind of you, Ash. And yeah. um, <laughs> I love this topic, I have to say. Mm. And it's, it's interesting or it's funny for me to actually say that out loud because if you had have asked me years ago if I would love my business numbers, I would have told you to go jump because, mm. look, I am very right brain, mm-hmm. not left brain mm. at all. So not inclined to love numbers or spreadsheets or whatnot. But the fact is, I think getting to know your business numbers or your sales numbers is such a critical factor. Would you agree, David? (laughs) Loaded question, but thank you. What's that sales technique called? Consumptive close? Um, Let's talk about numbers for a minute. Yep. Um, And I'll sort of, I'll I'll explain how it ties in with what we do. Yes. Here's a funny thing. Coaching as a um, profession Mm -hmm. is fairly new. Yes. Um, It sort of hasn't stood the test of time yet. There's a gazillion coaches out there and they coach on all different things. You've got life coaches, you've got health coaches, you've got performance coaches. I didn't like any of that. Yeah. And even though life coaching is probably a significant component of what we do, Mm -hmm. the bottom line with life coaching is it's hard to measure the result. Mm. I'm a pragmatic person. I came from an engineering background myself and I like numbers. And the reason I like numbers is they don't lie. Yes. Right. So when people tell me they're going really well in business or they're flat out busy, the first thing I'll ask them after that is show me your bank account. Yeah. <laughs> usually stops the conversation really quickly right? because people are interestingly optimistic when it comes to I'm busy, I've got so much on. But when it comes to the accountability around I've got so much on, they're a bit embarrassed. Yes. And the reason they're embarrassed is because they actually, underneath the facade, know the truth. Mm. But if I look at the numbers, it's painful because it invalidates what I'm doing. So to me, I think one of the things that you sort of talked about is numbers and how they relate to sales. Well, sort of easy. The thing I love about sales as a profession is uh, you get paid based on what you sell. Mm. So it's the ultimate in accountability in a job. So if you work as a salesperson, the first question is, do you have a track record? Numbers. Yes. Can you sell? Numbers. How did you go last month? Numbers. Yeah. One of my favorite sayings in sales is you're only as good as your last sale. Yeah. Numbers. 
right? So in the end, it's a true accountability system and that's why I'm in love with using numbers to drive sales. That's great. And I love that you brought up, um, you know, that whole fear factor around kind of facing the truth mm. that, you know, numbers don't lie. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, I had my own experience with that. I mentioned earlier that I haven't always been comfortable with numbers. <laughs> and in my first year of business, I thought I was doing really well. Mm. You know, I thought I'm very busy, you yeah. know, busy being busy. Um, I had, you know, quite a few clients, but I really didn't know the facts and figures around it. And, you know, my husband, he's an engineer, mm -hmm. you know, with that background, much yeah. like yourself. And he loves his spreadsheets. And he said, Ash, why don't we do an audit on your business? Yeah. And I remember that day so well uh -huh. and so vividly because it was like, pulling teeth, you know, mm. I didn't want to face the truth. And what happened was, I mean, the great news for me was, yes, I'd made a profit, mm -hmm. but it was very small. Mm. <laughs> and what dawned on me was, oh my gosh, I'd been working my butt off for 12 months and I thought I was killing it, but I wasn't. Yeah. But what was really empowering about that was the numbers, as you said, didn't lie no. and gave me the power to change things. So it's called a business, not a busyness. Yes. <laughs> and I think most people are busy in their busyness. Yes. And when you look at the numbers, their busyness does not equal business. Yep. And, you know, you sort of, when you talked about fear, I think people don't want to look at the numbers because the truth hurts. Mm. So it's easier to play the game of denial. Yes. And I'd rather be busy then see the truth because the truth would invalidate all my busy. Yes. And there's an old saying, you know, and um, keeping sort of living in denial is like living with your head in the sand and the problem is which part of your anatomy is sticking up at that point in time. <laughs> you know, it's a bit that's going to get kicked yes. by the economy, the competition, price, you know, all these different things. So, so, you know, the numbers don't lie and we need to have them in front of us so we know how fast we're going. Yes. Definitely. Mm. Well, look, one of the reasons, you know, I invited you on the show, David, was I mentioned, um, aside from many things, um, you know, there's a thing that you do at the business breakfast that, yeah. you know, you regularly run and that I speak at. You talk about the critical numbers in your business. Mm. So one thing I would love for the listeners today is mm. to know what numbers are important. Yeah. You know, we're talking yeah. about... It's important to monitor them. Okay. Where do they start? <laughs> it's a good question. So the funny thing is they start at the end for most people and the end is profitability, the bottom yep. line. And I think profitability is the be-all and end-all of your performance in business. It's not yes. about turnover, it's about leftover. And leftover is what's left after you pay all your bills and your own wage. Is there anything left over? And if there isn't, there's no profit. Yes. Now, the reason we start with the end in mind old Stephen Covey sort of proverb is that uh, the end should be profitability and so that's the first thing we need to measure but it's also the last thing that we can measure yeah now, let me explain what that means um, anything to do with dollars is usually what's called a lagging indicator mm -hmm. what I mean by that is if I look at revenue profitability average dollar sale all those sorts of things it really can only be measured as a result of a transaction mm -hmm. a transaction can only be measured as a result of a sale Yes. And a sale occurs as a result of generating leads. Yes. So while I'm measuring my revenue and my profitability, I'm looking at what happened in history. Mm. It's a bit like trying to drive a car by looking out the rearview mirror. Yeah, okay. Right. It's doable, <laughs> but it's bloody difficult, right? Yes. <laughs> and I think for most people, when they think of numbers in business, they're thinking about the, the financials. Yeah. So financials are important, but they're not the be-all, end-all, because they're historical figures. Yes. So yes, you have them. Most people have to have them because of BAS. Yeah. 
they tell us what happened, they don't tell us what's happening. Mm. So it's very frustrating for a business owner to say, my P&L says I've got profit, but there's no money in the bank. That's right. Why? Right? Now, it's obvious to an accountant, it might not be obvious to the business owner, just a secret, the, the money's usually in debtors or stock. Yes. Right? But the reality is, here we are trying to use financials to control business and drive strategy, <coughs> and um, it's difficult. Yeah. So what should people be measuring? I think there's two kinds of indicators. There's leading indicators and lagging indicators. Mm-hmm. A lagging indicator is historical data like num- like financials, and a leading indicator is activity-driven. Mm. So when I started my sales career, actually, no, let's go forward a bit. <coughs> Excuse me. When I started my coaching business, um, the most important number to me was the number of times I picked up the phone and dialed the number. Love it. Yeah. Why? Because if I didn't dial the number, I wouldn't speak to anyone. If I didn't speak to anyone, I wouldn't have any meetings. If I didn't have any meetings, I'd have no sales. Yes. So sometimes people are focused on the wrong thing and they're saying, we need more sales. Yes. And you go, sure. Where are they coming from? Mm-hmm. Well, we need to generate leads. Sure. Where are they coming from? <laughs> and they don't realize it has to start with a, a, an act. Yes. So it's either networking or it's some sort of paid advertising or it's literally picking up a phone and dialing a number. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about measuring in business, I think you measure the things that you want to improve. Mm. And measuring a thing that's a lagging indicator can be very frustrating because saying I need more profit and then we say, well, how? Well, we need to make more sales. Well, yes. keep asking how and you'll move up the chain. So things like number of times I pick up a phone, number of people I speak to, yep. number of appointments that I make, number of information packs I send, number of appointments that actually stick, Mm. they're all leading activity indicators. And as a salesperson, you start to live and die by those numbers. Yes, and and it's so true as well that even by measuring those numbers, that's Mm. where you can actually see where your sales process might be falling down. Like I remember years ago, a prospect approaching me and he said, look, we're thinking of utilizing your services. Mm -hmm. We've had someone who's been calling internally but they're not getting very good results. And I said, okay, well, what's not good results? Mm. And they didn't know any of their numbers. Mm. Like I said, how many calls are they making? Just like you said, how many people are they talking to? They hadn't tracked any of that. But what was great was I actually helped them to implement a system where they were Mm. monitoring it and they figured out where in the sales process things were falling down. Mm. So just like you said, if people get focused on monitoring the numbers, it can really empower them to then work on fine-tuning, you know, what they need to in their business. I suppose suppose in the end, what you focus on grows. Mm. So a a couple of funny stories, you know, when when we coach people in business, one of the things we like to do is get quick results. Mm -hmm. And one of the quickest results you can get is not by actually doing anything, it's just by putting people on alert. Yes. So we would work with a retail chain, and the first thing I would say to the owner of the retail chain is, just want you to send an email out to all the retailers saying that you're putting a mystery shopper on. Yes. <laughs> I don't care if you do or you don't put a mystery shopper on, but as soon as you send that email out, you watch what happens to sales. Totally. Because immediately, every retail person assumes they're on notice and people are testing them. Yes. So all of a sudden, they start following process. So we literally just get a boost in sales, literally from just communicating that we're putting a mystery shopper on. Yes. So you think about that and you go, well, what what actually happened is we made them accountable. Mm -hmm. Without actually even doing it, we just put them on notice and now all of a sudden they were aware that we were measuring their numbers. Yes. So as soon as people are aware of measurement, they start to focus on improving the numbers. Definitely. Mm. And it's a little bit like, you know, my team, we have that system where... 
every time they do a call session, mm-hmm. we track how many calls they're making, yep. how many people they speak to, Absolutely. you know, how many appointments they're getting, obviously, is the main outcome mm-hmm. we want. But at the end of the day, you know, they can't hide from those numbers. No. They are going to demonstrate how much activity they're doing. And not only will it show, you know, where we might need to fine-tune things, yeah. but it might say a lot about the market as well. You can get some great market intelligence that way too. And it's, a, it's just an interesting statement. You said they can't hide from the numbers, nor should they. Mm. Right? Because our team do the same. They have a tally sheet. They fill out every single day. Yep. If they don't fill out the tally sheet, I assume they did nothing. Yes. Because right? I don't care if you actually booked appointments today. What I care about is, did you ring numbers? Yes. Because it could be a bad database, it could be a bad day, it could be all sorts of different things, but I can't tell without the information. Yeah. So if they don't fill out a sheet, and even if they had success today, it doesn't count. Mm. Right? Because I need the stats. The yes. stats tell me what to, I need to focus on as a business. Sure. So here's an interesting question. I mean, yeah, it might be hard to answer. I'm not sure. But I obviously said that I was someone who was quite uncomfortable with numbers early in my career in business. But I got comfortable probably because my husband almost forced me into that audit process. Is there any recommendations you have for people who are sitting there listening going, I know I need to look at my numbers and I don't. Yeah, any recommendations around how they can get more comfortable or an easier way to do it? Something yeah. along those lines. So numbers in their own right are meaningless. Yeah. So if I said to you, I made 50000 this month, mm-hmm. is that good or bad? Well, yeah, it depends on the context, doesn't it? Yeah. Are you a large Yeah, because if I'm BHP, that's pretty bad, right? <laughs> that's right. But if I'm a one-man band who started up three weeks ago, that's awesome. Totally. So, so there's a couple of things. Humans, by their nature, are pretty competitive. Mm. And what I mean by that is you don't need to be a sporting person to be competitive. I think you can be competitive with yourself. Yes. And so part of the whole mechanism recording numbers is not to judge your performance, Mm -hmm. but to measure your performance. And there's a difference there. Yes. Because if I'm sort of loath to look at numbers because I've got a feeling that things aren't going right and they're going to make me look bad, then I won't look at the numbers. If I look at things and say, if I measure numbers, all it's doing is benchmarking what I'm currently doing so I can tell if I'm doing better or worse. Mm. I'll give you a simple analogy. You know, for mo- Most of the time, if you've heard me say this story, if, uh, is the speedo an important part of the dashboard of your car? Yep. <laughs> and most people say yes, and I'll ask why. And I'll say, because you need to know how fast you're going. And I say, why? Sure. And the most common answer is, so you don't get a speeding ticket. Yes. <laughs> cool. Okay, so if there is no speed limit, is the speedo still an important part of your car? Mm. Now, the other person will say, yes, because you need to drive safely. And I say, how can you drive safely while you're looking at the speedo? Mm. Does the speed really make a difference to how safe you're driving, or is it about how safe you feel? Yes. So in reality, without a speed limit, the speedo becomes a distraction mm. rather than an important instrument on the dashboard. Yeah. So here we are saying, how do I get someone to measure their performance? And the answer is, unless they know what they're aiming for, it becomes meaningless. Yes. It's not about measuring what you're doing just to say, is that good or bad? It's about measuring what you're doing to see whether you're ahead or behind of some kind of benchmarking. Yes. So the first part of measurement is not to measure, not to judge. Mm-hmm. The first part of measurement is to benchmark. Yes. And people hate measuring because, oh, it's low, it's clunky, I'd rather just make calls. That's called denial. Yeah. And we know where denial goes, right? So um, it's not a river in Egypt. (laughs) Um, It's just what people do when they don't want to face the consequences of measurement. Yeah. So it's a bit of self-discipline. 
but you know you want to lose weight the best way to start losing weight is to start weighing yourself mm-hmm. right because if you weigh yourself every day whether it goes up or down you're quite aware yes. of whether you're moving in the right direction or not that's right so most people don't like the accountability yes because underneath the surface they actually aren't committed to success yes And I love all of that because, you know, it it really does make me think of the process I went through, which I I spoke about earlier about that audit. Like you said, it just allowed me to really set a benchmark. You know, I remember my husband when I was very disheartened saying, no, but at least now you know where you are. And what happened after that is I was able to then set some targets. So I remember that I wanted to achieve a certain profit in a 12-month time frame. I said, okay, now I know where I am. This is where I want to go. Do you know what's amazing? And I mean, it's not that amazing because we know the power of writing down our goals. I actually wrote down the goal of the profit I wanted to achieve and I stuck it on my mirror at home. I actually achieved that in a six-month time frame rather than a 12-month. And like you said, I think it was all because I started monitoring things, measuring things, but I did have that target to aim for. Well, yeah. I'll give you a simple analogy. Everyone carries in their pocket these days a GPS yes. in their phone. And it's a marvellous device because not only does it tell you where to go, it tells you when you need to leave. Yes. It tells you about traffic. Yes. And it sends you a buzzer saying, just like mine's about to do right now. <laughs> there you go. To, That's good timing. The GPS. Oh, it's time to leave in five minutes. <laughs> but it never used to do that, right? Yeah. And the only reason it knows to tell me I need to get out of this seat in five or ten minutes or whatever it is, is because it's looking at my calendar. It knows where I need to be. Yes. And it tells me to get there in time according to traffic conditions, you need to leave at this period, at this time. I know. I love this function. Yeah. How awesome <laughs> is this, right? Because yeah. now you don't need to sit there constantly looking at your watch to say, oh, what time do you think I need to leave? It does it for you. Yes. Now, the problem is that that device cannot do that unless it knows the address of your next appointment. Yep. And the time you need to be there. Yeah. So here we are. We think we're really smart as human beings because we've created these magnificent devices that can do all this for us. But we have not been able to replicate the power of the human brain. Yes. So here we are. Each one of us has one. Yeah. And it's the most powerful computer on the planet with no instruction manual. Mm. And the one instruction manual that everyone should be using for their brain is programming yes. their um, oh, their mind, programming their mind by setting goals. Yes. So I think people underestimate the importance of goal setting. I think people don't understand why we set goals in the first place, yes. and they get confused and they go, "Oh, look, I've tried goal setting; it didn't work for me." Yes. Now I'll suggest to you that goal setting is programming the GPS in your brain. And so when you put that little card up on your mirror with your goal, your revenue goal or your, your profit goal, what you did is you started programming your brain to say, what do I need to do to get there? Mm. And then your brain in your subconscious part of your brain starts to work out how to do it. Yes. So this supercomputer that we have on our shoulders works on goal setting. It's also known as a reticular activating system. And most people don't like using it. Yep. Because they feel, oh, you know, I shouldn't have to do that. You know, I like to fly by the seat of my pants. And these are all real justifications for not utilising the most powerful computer on the planet. Yes. So I think the tip there is if you don't understand the purpose of goal setting or the meaning behind it, speak to someone who does. Mm-hmm. Have a go at it because once you start setting goals, you'll find you can achieve things that were, you didn't think were possible in record times. Mm-hmm. And part of that is having the measuring mechanism, the numbers, to see how you're tracking. Yes. And you combine these two things, you don't have to work any harder. Mm. You actually just work a little bit smarter. 
and things start moving in the direction you need them to. Yes, and that kind of, I guess, you know, what we're touching on is almost, um, you know, the the question before about mm. those people that might not be comfortable with this. Yeah. There are so many, you know, ways that yeah. you don't have to do this alone. One of them working with a coach like yourself, David. <laughs> um, and, you know, because that was my whole thing was, you know, there was no way I was going to look at my numbers back then on yeah. my own. And if my husband hadn't gone through that process, I probably would have flied, you know, blindly for a very long time. Yeah, you would. So <laughs> I get to say, most people don't want a business coach because they know what's coming. Yes. <laughs> accountability. But the see, truth. <laughs> what they don't realise is what can, what comes out the other end of accountability is profitability. Yes. So and profitability is still a number. In the end, the numbers don't make your life better. Yes. What makes your life better is choice. So when you've got profit in your bank account and you can now go on holidays or you can now upgrade your car because your old one's getting a bit rickety or you can actually buy an extra air conditioner for that spare room that you couldn't afford before as a result of writing some goals down and focusing on numbers, it all suddenly becomes meaningful. Yes. So I think the goal setting has to be meaningful, but the numbers are indicators of whether I'm on track or not. Yeah, that's great. Okay, well, another question I then have for you because, yeah, we're, we're looking at... Um, you know, monitoring our numbers mm. and, and doing it on the regular. Yeah. How often would you recommend that people look at these numbers? And and I remember after I did the audit process, I'll just tell everyone, yeah. uh, my husband did start uh, tracking and measuring all yeah. of my business numbers every month. We yeah. had a, a bit of a meeting to, yeah, yeah. to see my progress. Uh -huh. So, yeah, what what's your recommendation to yeah. listeners? <laughs> it's a trick question, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I read an article one day. It was very interesting. and It talked about like um, how often a millionaire looks at their goals. Mm. And I often throw the question in a room and say, how often do you think a millionaire looks at their goals? Mm -hmm. What number would you think? Every day. Yes. Yes. And about 24 times a day. Wow. Yeah, people go 24 times a day. What, they don't sleep? Yeah. <laughs> right? And here's the funny part, right? If I'm driving my car mm. and I know that there's a speed camera at every lamp post. Yes. At every lamp post. How often do I look at my speedo? At every lamp post. Yeah. Because right? I'm sitting there going, I don't want to go over. Yes. So I'm either going to do one of two things. I'm going to put the cruise control on mm -hmm. and then I don't have to look at the speedo because it's being looked at by a computer. Mm-hmm. Or I'm just going to keep my eye on that speedo so that I don't go over. Yes. Now, either way, what I'm getting at here is most people don't look at their goals often enough. Yeah. Um, once a month is okay, but really you're still working on old information. Mm. So to me, real time yep. is the right answer. So you should be having a dashboard in your business and the dashboard so it should be like the dashboard in your car. Yes. Which means when something is outside of its tolerances, a red light should go on. Mm. So if your lead generation has slowed down to below a threshold, an alarm bell has to go off. Yes. Why? Because in three months' time, you're going to have poor revenue because you didn't get any leads three months ago. Yes. And if you don't have an indicator, you'll just keep running as if everything's going normal. And then in three months, you're going to have, oh, I've got no money. Yes. Well, the problem was three months ago, but you'd ignore the red light on the dashboard. Yes. So the short answer is real time, mm -hmm. which means daily, regularly, multiple times a day. Yep. The long answer is how do I get myself to a position where I can look at those things without having to go through spreadsheets and do calculations? So yes. how do I turn it into a dashboard so I can have a glance? Yes. Because you don't concentrate on your dashboard, you concentrate on the road. The dashboard indicates to you where you are. 
Yeah. So it's almost like there's a few different checkpoints. Yes. And yet that, that's what you made me realize that, again, referring back to my own experience, that mm. what probably worked for me yeah. when I achieved that goal that was a 12-month goal yeah. in six months was yeah. I had the goal that I saw every single day. Mm-hmm. So that was on my yes. bathroom mirror. I yeah. saw it every morning. Yeah. So I knew where I was at. Yeah. But then I had, like you said, the dashboard to look at on a regular basis yes. to see how I was tracking. Yeah. And then at the same time, I was on the ro- I had my rubber on the road doing what I needed to do to achieve that goal. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a few different numbers and checkpoints we have yeah. to keep in mind. Yeah, but the reality is that uh, you go to a football match and you keep your eye on the scoreboard most of the time. Yes. The only time you stop is when the gap is so big yes. that it really doesn't matter that anymore. you don't care. <laughs> but when there's like 50 points of difference, you go, That's, the scorecard's not important anymore. Yeah. Right. But when the score is neck and neck, I'm looking at that scorecard, not only scorecard, also stats. Yeah. Because the stats in football, like turnovers, free kicks, they all tell me who's going to win before they win. Yes. So we've got to be looking at those things on a regular basis, depending on what we're trying to focus on or build. Definitely. Mm. All right, fantastic. Well, are there any other, you know, kind of hot tips or takeaways that people should keep in mind when they're focusing on the numbers in their business or in sales? Um, okay, so so first thing is really assessing what numbers you need to focus on because they will change. Yes. Okay, so at the start, when I, as I mentioned, when I started my coaching business, it was all about how many times I picked up the phone and dialed because I knew that without that, nothing would happen. Yes. Now I don't focus on that anymore. That's someone else's responsibility. Right? Mm. Because remember I mentioned yes uh, earlier, it's not about turnover, it's about leftover. Yes. Most people I speak to run businesses that can tell me their revenue. Mm-hmm. But very few can tell me the profitability. Yes. And here's the problem with focusing on revenue and not profitability is I can have a business that's earning over a million dollars a month mm-hmm. and I can have a business that's earning over a hundred thousand a month. And I can tell you in a lot of cases, a hundred thousand a month is way more profitable <laughs> in profit dollars than yep. a million. Yes. Because sometimes we forget that it's about leftover. It's mm-hmm. not about turnover. And so I think the first question when it comes to numbers is trying to work out what are you trying to achieve? Because mm-hmm. some people say, I just need to grow. But grow is too broad for me. Is it profitability? Is it revenue? Is it number of clients? Is it number of products? What is it specifically you're trying to grow? And then from there, you start sort of identifying the key leading indicators to measure, which mm-hmm. are taking you towards the strategy. So setting a goal without having a strategy, well, let me rephrase it, having a goal but not having a strategy. Mm-hmm. So having the goal on the window is great. Yes. Right on the mirror. But then what you need to think about is what do I need to do? Mm-hmm. to actually move me towards that goal. So sometimes you'll find there's other measurements that you should be making along the way. Yes. But we don't want to get into busyness, which is just making lots of calls if they're mm. not converting into appointments. And that's spot on because, you know, I guess I, I forgot to mention to everyone out there that I definitely had those smaller goals. There yeah. was, you know, how many clients yes. do I actually need to bring on board yeah. to be able to achieve that yeah. profit? And then, as you said, working back from there, then how many did I need to generate or prospects did I need to generate? Mm -hmm. How many proposals did I need to write? All those factors came in. So it'll come down to what one thing can I control Mm -hmm. that I can measure and focus on? Yes. Because profit's something usually that's lagging, turnover's lagging, Mm. sales is lagging. What I can control is what am I doing today? 
Yes. So do I need to see more prospects or do I need to generate more leads or do I need to convert? What is it that I'm focused on and that's what I measure? Yes. And so, as you said, it's going to change over time in terms of what numbers they're looking at. And you actually touched on something that I thought, actually, that's a question I was going to ask David. (laughs) So I know that you are such a huge advocate for, you know, the end goal being that business owners can take that trip away for six weeks, turn off their phone and their business still runs (laughs) smoothly. It's something that he regularly brings up at the business breakfast and I love it Um, because that's the dream that, you know, our business can work without us. So if we are working towards that, working more on our business than in our business, Should it be that we still keep our finger on the pulse and know our numbers, you know, even if we're in that position where we can switch off, so to speak? Mm -hmm. Would you still be looking at your numbers on the regular if you're that business owner that can can take a holiday and not worry about things? (laughs) Well, sometimes we call it the luxury of taking a holiday. Other times we call it the nightmare of not being able to work. Yeah. And as you're quite aware, I I had a bit of an accident at the start of the year. Yes. Um, It was an unfortunate accident. I was out kite surfing and I got smashed into a brick wall and I was in hospital for three months. Crazy. So the business had to continue to run without me. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, depends how you look at it, I wasn't able to do anything about the numbers because mm. I was heavily sedated for the first two months, which meant I couldn't even make sense of the numbers, let alone worry about them. Yes. Um, so in that scenario, um, my suggestion is that ultimately your business should run without you, which mm-hmm. means cold turkey, which means yep. no contact, no numbers, no nothing. Now, in order to achieve that, someone else needs to take responsibility for those numbers. Yes. So if you look at the stages of business growth, you know, the first stage is typically self-employment where I'm the doer, I'm the seller, I'm the marketer, I'm the everythinger. Yeah. Right? And that's fine because that's how we start. The second stage is then when we move into the management level where we say, well, I'll now monitor the numbers, but someone else can do the work. Yes. Now, the issue with that is you still need to be there mm-hmm. because if the numbers go, for it like comes up, I need to act. Mm-hmm. So if I don't look at those numbers, no one else is looking at those numbers. Yes. Okay, so then I need to think about how do I get myself out of that scenario? And that means putting management in place. Yes. Which means people now manage my numbers. I set the numbers, but they manage them, which means when a red light comes on, they react, not me. Mm. So now looking at the numbers is a luxury. It's an option. So now mm-hmm. I move into what's called the leadership role. Now yes. The leadership role means I still need to know what's going on, but I don't need to act daily on it because someone else is doing that. And now I can invest my time in looking forward into what the new opportunities or where the market's going. Yes. To me, that's the ultimate aim of a business owner. Because sometimes people forget when we go into business, the reason we go into business is we have an entrepreneurial seizure. Yes. A myth. Michael Gerber said this. (laughs) Love it. We have this fit where we decide I'm sick of working for someone else. I'm going to work for myself. And he calls it a seizure because it only happens for a very short period of time. And then what we do is we throw the whole entrepreneurial idea out and we become either the technician or the manager. But we never go back to the entrepreneurial part and we get frustrated by the fact that this is not what I expected. Mm. And I put it down to one thing. I think when people go into business, they have all the right intention, but they never decide what it's going to look like when it's finished. Yes, so true. So it's like building a house without a plan. Mm-hmm. or anyone who's renovated three or four times knows what I mean. Your house turns into a rabbit's warren. <laughs> if you go to build a house from scratch, you need to go to an architect and get a plan and the plan needs to be ratified and completed before the house starts. Yes. It's actually illegal to start building a house without a ratified plan. But in business, we don't need these things. 
So imagine if they said to you, you want to be a business owner, you cannot start business until you show me the completed business plan. Yes. Which means what it looks like when it's finished. Mm. Now, finished could mean sold. Finished could mean under management. Mm-hmm. Finished could mean we works without me. Finished could be, in most cases, 80% of businesses go in liquidation. Mm. And so it's an unfortunate finish, but it's still a finish. Yes. <laughs> um, so we have to decide what that is. And when we decide what that is, then we can move forward and start building to that. Yes. So I think one of the tips you're asking for insights is it's to take, step, take a step back and decide what am I building here. Mm. Once you've decided what you're building, then you can start to move forward from there and start implementing some of the strategies. Yes. <laughs> so, um, but look, that, that's it in a nutshell in terms of sort of tips in that area. Um, there's a lot more. Yes. Uh, and, and I suppose I, I'm infatuated by business. I think, uh, you know, people who go into business go in with all the right intention. I mean, our vision for Outcomes Business Group is reinvigorating the business dream. Awesome. And it's sort of an extension on what Gerber said is, uh, you know, people have this entrepreneurial fix or seizure. They go into business and they get excited and they can't sleep at night because their idea is awesome. Um, they lose that dream. Mm. And they get into this sort of treadmill where they're just running to make ends meet and all of a sudden it's vanished. And where's it gone? And reality is they become tired, they become disillusioned and they become resentful and they just get stuck. Yes. Now, I don't believe it needs to be that way. I think that's what they allowed it to happen. Yes. And I think part of the reason they allowed it to happen is no plan. Yeah. Okay, so we like to drag those people back out of their depression and actually reinvigorate that dream and say, you're into business for the right reasons. It's just that you went off track. Yes. Let's get you back to why you went into business in the first place, to create a lifestyle, to make a fortune, to travel. To Well, it doesn't matter what it is. What matters is that's the reason you went into business and you're not going that way at the moment or it's taking too long. Yes. Let's get you back to basics. Let's work out what's missing. Let's measure those things. Let's fix those holes. Perfect. And I think sales, like sales careers to me are businesses. Mm-hmm. Right? As a salesperson, you are worth as much as you can generate. Yes. You want to be worth a million dollars as a salesperson? You can be. Mm. Right? Just make someone 10. Yes. They'll pay you a million all day long. <laughs> right? And I've proven that, right? Because I often went into sales thinking the beauty of this job is the income is uncapped. Mm. And it's uncapped because if I can work out how to make more sales, I will make more money. That's right. And if these guys don't want to pay me, someone else will. Yes. So you become dependent on your ability to develop as a salesperson to actually improve your income. Yes. So there were some great takeaways there. Obviously, you know, I always love um, when you do talk about how no one really, you know, a lot of people, majority, start businesses without the end in mind. I think that's so true. So for listeners, if, you know, you're thinking about that fact that you started it perhaps with the entrepreneurial seizure, Uh much like myself, and you started it because you love something, it's still so important that you have the end in mind. So, you know, sit down, take the time to imagine what you want to create and what the purpose is. You know, do you want to sell it? Do you want to work on it and be able to uh you know go on these luxury holidays and whatnot but i was going to say too i also loved the takeaway that if you are listening and are someone that is not comfortable with numbers perhaps you need to aim for that leadership position where you don't so much have to deal with the numbers anymore you've got management to do that actually that's avoidance right (laughs) (laughs) i can make numbers really important to you because in the end, it's a measurement, mm. right? And if it's not important to you, you won't look at it. Yeah. Um, if you're intimidated by numbers, it's because someone's either tried to bamboozle you with them or yes. you don't understand how they connect to what you're doing. Because really, you know, this, this whole issue of people being in overwhelm or not understanding numbers, the whole numeric system is designed to confuse people. Yeah. 
Because, you know, you talk to an accountant, they'll say you've got debtors and creditors and debtors are people who owe you money, which means you're in credit and creditors are people who you... And it, it, it's just like, why don't you just explain what it is, right? <laughs> and so yeah. the, rea- the, the reality of money is it comes in and it goes out. And yeah. your job as a business owner is to keep some of it. Yes. And if we think about that as a reality, if there's nothing in your bank account, you're not good at keeping it. No. And we can link that back to how well you sell. We can think, link that back to how good your product is. We can link that back to are you targeting the right market? All these sorts of things. So it's not really being fearful of numbers. Numbers just measure what you're doing. Yes. And we can use those in a, in a way to strengthen our position or we can use them as a reason not to move forward. Yeah. So I think this fear of numbers is false. I don't think numbers are really confusing. Mm. I think uh, the thing is most people don't invest the time to understand what numbers they need or they don't have someone explaining to them how to measure those numbers effectively. Yes. Fantastic. Well, so many things, I think, for you know listeners to take mm. away yeah. and not only have a think about but hopefully take action with mm. today. Yeah. Now, I always love to ask my podcast guests <laughs> some funny questions, David. Go for it. Uh, you know that I have an acting background and I always love to ask some questions that are a little bit like the Inside the Actors Studios yeah. with a salesy t- uh, twist. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you some questions now that will hopefully give uh, listeners some more insight into you sure. and who you are and who you are as a salesperson. So the first is, what is your favorite sales word? Uh (laughs) No. No. (laughs) I love that. Why is it no? Because most people are scared of that word. And it actually stops most people picking up the phone and making a call. Yes. And really, in terms of being a good salesperson, no no is just an entry point. It's just a difficult entry point for so many people. So I love no's. Yes. Because there's another saying, and I think Brian Tracy said it, you know, it takes nine no's to get to a yes, one in ten, so every no is one step closer. Yes. So he'd say if you were selling something for $10 and you knew one in ten said yes, every no is a dollar. Great. So we'd say every time someone says no, you say thanks for the dollar. Because <laughs> you're one step closer to the yes. Yes. So the word no is super powerful to me when it comes to sales. Perfect. I love that. What part of the sales process turns you on? Uh-huh. <laughs> Talk about bringing sexy back. I know. Huh. <laughs> Plays um, in with the theme. Look, I, I suppose my favourite part of sales is communication. Yep. It's about sort of actually connecting with someone. And look, in essence, and I heard this the other day, it was very clever, you know, some salespeople see themselves as problem solvers. Mm. You know, we don't sell stuff, we solve your problems. And a friend of mine, Zach, said to me, you know, we're not problem solvers, we're problem finders. Yes. He said, my job is to be a detective. Yes. And so when I'm talking to a prospect, I'm not just trying to sell them anything, I'm trying to find a problem that they don't know they have that I can help them solve. Yes. So being a problem finder is probably my favourite part of the sales process. Love it. What sound or noise, uh, noise, noise, so what sound or noise do you like to hear in the sales process? Now, this could be when someone says yes, or you could like silence. You know, what is that sound that you listen uh, out uh, for? Uh, I'll, I'll give you a nice one. Um, <laughs> when, when I first started in my coaching career, I think one of the nicest noises we'd like to hear in the sales process is ka-ching. Ka-ching. Which is also coaching, right? <laughs> um, so ka-ching is the cash register. It's the close of the sale. Um, 
I don't like the word close. Yeah. Because it sort of puts pressure on a person to make a decision for something that may or may not be appropriate. I think to me, when when you hear the cash register, mm-hmm. that means you've successfully understood a person's need and showed them how you can help them. Mm-hmm. And so when someone transacts with our organisation, it's an exciting time because the proof's in the pudding. Yes. And so when they say, we're about to give you money because we trust you're going to deliver what you said you are, that's a moment of truth to me because now we're on notice. Yes. Because it's not about the first sale, it's about the second sale. Definitely. And first sale is, okay, I'm willing to give you a go. The second sale is, okay, I got value out of what I did with you the first time. Yes. So really, when I think about it, it's it's often about, you know, that uh, first transaction is the opportunity to demonstrate what you can do. Yes. And the ka-ching. ka-ching. We love that noise. <laughs> <laughs> can you think of a weird sales situation that you've experienced? Huh. That's a tough one. (laughs) There's so many. I know that that would be my answer. There's so many. Where do I start? (laughs) Um, That's a really hard one, Ash. I don't know. I would would think of so many. I've been doing sales for nearly 40 years. Yes. So I've had some weird ones. Yes. Um, I've had some interesting ones. I used to sell um, computers. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting the call from this company called Butterfly Bookkeeping. Mm Mm-hmm. And they said, look, we'd like to, uh, our system has crashed and we'd like you to um, help us with uh, fixing it. We've lost our database. Mm. And we thought, oh, yeah, we'll go <laughs> check this out. Now, what we didn't realise at the time is what butterfly bookkeeping really was. Oh. Right? Yeah. Which is, you're starting to sort of guess, it was a, it was a brothel. <laughs> right? And their database was their client base. Oh, my god! And they were worried about that being leaked to the internet. Wow. Right? Because it was all the personal contact details and credit card details of all of their clients. So that, that was an interesting one. That's very interesting. Um, we get some weird ones. So, um, look, the thing I love about sales is you never know what you're walking into. <laughs> yes. And so sales situations often um, are very unusual. Definitely. Very unusual. We also get a lot of startups and entrepreneurs, and some are great and very interesting, <laughs> and some are just way out weird. And I think one of my favorites was uh, we get the odd inventor yep. that rings us up and says, we've got a great idea, yep. and we want to talk to someone about converting it into a business. And I think my favorite one was a guy that rang in one day, and he said, you know, I've got this brilliant um, idea that I've developed, and he said, you're not going to, it's going to sound weird. Now, when someone says it's going to sound weird, yeah. It's going to sound weird. <laughs> and his one was, I've learned how to talk to birds. What? And communicate with birds. Wow. Now, here I am as a salesperson going, well, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. But he said, David, I know it sounds stupid and I know it sounds unreasonable, but I'll, I'll crack the code. Yeah. I can actually talk to birds. Yes. So we don't challenge people's ideas. When no. we are business coaches, our job is to help facilitate the attainment of their goal. So um, it did go down the track and uh, it was a bit of a weird one and we never really know what happened with that business because it was one of those, you know, startups are renowned for not really going anywhere. People have got great ideas they can't execute. Yes. I suppose the question was, what's the application of that? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. So um, I don't think we came up with the answer, but we do see a lot of weird ones, Mm. a lot of weird sales situations, and uh, it's part of the fun of being in sales. You don't don't really know which way the ball's going to be spinning when you go to catch it. That's why I love it. (laughs) (laughs) What uh, profession, other than your own, would you like to take on? So is there anything you've always said, oh, I'd love to do that? (laughs) Yeah, um, probably, uh, <laughs> once again, another good question, actually. I know you dug these out of some deep, dark corner of the internet somewhere. 
when I was younger, I, I used to love this whole notion of um, driving, you know, those trucks that clean the sand on the beach. Mm-hmm. And every morning you get up before the sun comes up and you get into this truck and you can play the music and all you're going to do is drive up and down the beach cleaning the sand. And I thought, there, there's a the job. That's you know, cool. Going to the beach with the sun up every morning and just being in this truck, you know, heated or air conditioned, whichever way you have to go and just being able to sort of just drive up and down the beach. Yes. Don't know if I want to go there anymore, <laughs> because the uh, reality is uh, in in our in in our business, uh, my business is my perfect fit for me. Yes. Um, I, I've sort of been doing this all my life. I never get bored with it. Mm. Um, we're currently sort of going through a massive growth spurt. We've got nine coaches on board at the moment, and we're just looking at the next stage of growth. Mm. So, what we do ultimately is help people grow their businesses, and and for me, I think when you go into business, it's more of an obligation. Yes. Because those people that go into business and fail are just, you know, it's just a tragedy. Mm. I think those people that are willing to take the risk of running their own business should be massively rewarded. Definitely. And if they're not, inevitably it's because they don't know what to do. Mm. Because a good business owner will grow a business to its success. Yeah. And if they have the right tools, that sort of minimizes that risk. So I think that's our mission in life is to help people grow successful businesses. And I sort of eat, live, breathe, sleep it. And uh, I think for our guys here, that's sort of what they're passionate about. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, David. Mm. I think we've got a lot of insight into you and you as a salesperson (laughs) and some (laughs) different quirky things we might not have known. Uh, So, look, obviously I mentioned that David runs Outcomes Business Group. You have mentioned not only, you know, some of the ways you help people with your coaching services, but also that you're growing and bringing more coaches on board. So I guess if anyone's interested from either of those angles, they can... So many ways. I mean, the way we're growing, we're looking for good people all the time. So I'm looking for coaches. I'm looking for BDM salespeople who might be interested in joining us. We're looking for clients. We're looking for partners like yourself, Ashley. Um, We're we're on a mission, and I I suppose part of it is actually finding people who are on a similar mission to us that need help or that that, that can help us. Yes. So anyone who's interested in small business as a target market or growth, I mean, please reach out. We'd be happy to talk to you in any way we can. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And I hope for the listeners out there, maybe we have made you get a little bit more comfortable with your numbers today. And if not, that we have kind of brought sexy back to business and sales numbers so much that you will be motivated this financial year to uh, look at them and set some new goals and take your business to the next level. Awesome. Absolutely, Ashley. Thanks so much for your time too. I really enjoy our conversations whenever we do have them. Sometimes they go weird places. Definitely. Next time I'll be interviewing you, I know what questions to ask. Can I just ask? Yes. What is your ideal job if you could have if you couldn't continue your sales career? Oh, look, well, I think it's going to be no surprise that I mentioned, you know, the inside the actor studio, uh-huh. uh, you know, questions come about with my acting background. So yeah. I think that if, look, you know, I always think of that question, um, you know, if, if you couldn't fail, if you if yeah. you knew you weren't going to fail, what would you do? And it would probably be acting because that's the thing. It was a very tough industry when I was in it. Mm. Um, but if I knew that I could be winning, a you know, an Oscar, I would definitely be going for that. <laughs> so maybe that. But the other one, I have to say, when I was in primary school, whenever they said, what do you want to be when you're older? It was to be a news reporter. <laughs> so again, it may be no surprise that I always seem to fall into this category of presenting or, yeah. you know, pitching or, you know, doing something of that nature. And, and I love, you know, news reporters. You know, David, that at the business breakfast, I uh-huh. often say that I 
modelled my phone voice on news reporters. Yes. So perhaps in some way I have taken on that, <laughs> that role. So uh, watch yeah. that space, yeah. you know. Very you never good. know. Maybe in the future somewhere I will. Well, maybe with this podcast you already are. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you for tuning in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Thank you for tuning in, guys, to the Jester to Royalty Project. Uh, if you have any questions, yeah. feel free to reach out to me or David and uh, get comfortable with your numbers. We'll, awesome. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Ashley. Okay. Bye. Bye.